0: from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University, with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online. More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu.
1: Good evening from the Capitol building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. Tonight on the legislature today, an update on the rise program. That's the state run and federally funded flood recovery program. The state received 150 million to assist low income residents needing repair or replacement of their homes following devastating floods of 2016. Today, hundreds are still displaced that's later in the program but first senior reporter Dave Mistich joins me. Hi Dave. Hey. We have been following a late afternoon meeting in the Senate Judiciary. This is about Senate Bill 278, the intermediate 275. Oh, excuse me, creating the intermediate court appeals. And I have to say when I listened in a local attorney representing the US Chamber of Commerce was really getting grilled.
2: That's right. So, and just to bring everyone up to speed here, this is an issue that we've heard about for years and years here at the legislature. Um, this year, Senate Bill 275 would we'll create this intermediate court system. It would be three judge panels um, in each of two districts, so a northern district and a southern district. These judges would serve 10 year terms. Um, the new layer of courts would address civil cases only. Uh, as well as family court guardianship and workers compensation decisions. It would not deal with criminal uh, proceedings at all. Juvenile cases, abuse, and neglect, mental hygiene or public service commission appeals. So the state um, in looking at fiscal notes would cost the state about $4 million a year. Uh, Supreme Court says about $6.3 million a year once it's fully implemented, but there's some talk of some savings to the tune of about $2 million comes out to be about $4 million a year. I spoke with Senate Judiciary Chair Charlie Trump. Um, he's a Republican from Morgan County about the need for this Intermediate Court of Appeals.
0: The argument in support of creating the Intermediate Court of Appeals is that will allow a greater development of decisional law jurisprudence in West Virginia. Uh, it was and has been recommended uh, by every study commission that has ever been appointed to study our judiciary in West Virginia, the most recent of which was a 2009 study, uh, commission appointed by Governor Manchin. And uh, as you may recall, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor served on it. Uh, And they recommended that we create an intermediate court of appeals.
1: But Dave, there's been a lot of pushback by Democrats uh, about this. That's right. The
2: conversation in the committee was very lively. I should say that they started talk of this bill on Friday, uh, went back into the committee this morning, and then finally passed it through this afternoon. Um, You know, I'm I'm just gonna fill you in just a little bit more about the details on this. Operations of this court under this bill would begin July 1st of 2021. An interesting aspect though, is that the governor would make initial appointments January 1st. So with Governor Justice up for reelection, The inauguration comes after January 1st. So even if he is not reelected, he could have the ability to point uh, the make some initial appointments to this to this bench, this new bench, this intermediate bench. Um, Committee members, though, did adopt an amendment that calls for nonpartisan election of immediate court judges following those initial appointments that would come in, I believe, May of 2022. And of course, these terms would be staggered after that. Um, Another amendment that they adopted um, would force the governor to make those appointments based on recommendations from the judicial vacancy advisory commission. We heard a lot about that when there were vacancies came up on the state supreme court following the impeachment proceedings. Um, we should say now that uh, Senate Bill Two Seventy Five heads to the finance committee. One thing I want to note to uh, Senator Romano from Harrison County, a Democrat, he proposed this ten-year sunset provision that would make the court cease to exist if the legislature wouldn't act. That amendment was rejected. And of course, Senator Woeful from Cabell County, another Democrat, moved to table the bill. That didn't work, uh, but it's passed out of committee. Now heads on to finance.
1: All right. Also today in the Senate, a recognition of the 75th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz uh, concentration camp.
2: That's right. And you know, this this discussion over Holocaust education, Holocaust history, uh, has came up a lot. We saw this uh, Department of Military Affairs and Public Safety, the Department of Corrections or the Division of Corrections, this Nazi salute photo. Senator Beach has been very active in trying to get this Commission on Holocaust Education revived. Uh, He spoke on the floor today, gave some comments about the need for that to happen.
0: A year ago, following the Tree of Life synagogue killings, uh, this group wanted to reform. Like I said, it's been defunct for several years now. They wanted to get this going, continue to get the message into our schools. Well, at that time, we did the research, we found out what we had to do, and it was more or less just a simple letter to the governor downstairs. That was a year ago that I made a request for the governor to make appointments to the commission. That has fallen on deaf ears, folks. A year later, that commission still goes unappointed. I keep watching. I have staff check every morning when I come in to see if names have come up from downstairs. Nothing. I don't know how to take that. I really don't know how to take that.
1: Next, to focus on RISE, the state's federally funded flood recovery program. Its charge is to build or replace the homes of displaced 2016 flood victims, but it's been a painfully slow process for many of these victims. Emily Allen will speak with members of the Joint Committee on Flooding in just a moment, but first her visit to Greenbrier County, where she met one of hundreds of West Virginians still displaced.
3: We moved here in 2007, And we actually lived in the smaller house down on the corner. So we were there maybe five years. And then in 20, this is funny, in 2012, we were able to buy this house. So we actually owned the whole, whole block in the, cause we had got the property in between there too.
4: Up until 2016, this is where Brian Allen called home. This as in the town of Alderson, where a little more than a thousand people live on the monroe greenbrier County line.
3: We were working on the home, and uh, we'd put in a new power service, we'd put a new roof on the uh, extension there that was added later. Uh, we'd put all new windows in, we had had new cabinets put in, it's, you know, that was basically a new, the chimney's old of course, but you had a new liner. Uh, had a new, uh, fireplace insert. So, so we, you know, we we're in the process of, you know, really putting it back together and, you know, trying to make it nicer. So yeah, that was really all over <laughs> in 16.
4: In June, 2016, West Virginia had one of its deadliest floods in state history. The governor declared a state of emergency in 12 West Virginia counties. The National Weather Service reports Greenbrier County, including where Brian lived, was hit the hardest.
3: Well, we were able to get out as the flood was happening. It was really weird because, again, you know, I was coming from work from Beckley, so then I was coming down Alta and so forth. They kept saying it was going to be like 17 feet, and was like, ah, uh, you know, who cares, right? And so, because we knew the flood stages. We knew what the gauge would say and when, when, when it was going to be a problem. And then just suddenly, like, pow, <laughs> the power went out. It was just dark.
4: There were 23 confirmed deaths across the impacted areas. That July, state leaders estimated more than 1,500 homes had been destroyed. About 4,000 more were damaged.
3: So fortunately for me, you know, I had the Jeep. We loaded what we could, but you can't really pack that much because it's pitch black. And then we went down to the big wheel, went across the new bridge, and then went out up over the mountain and ended up uh, staying for my dad over in Peterstown.
4: With money from the Federal Emergency Management Agency, Brian's family was able to stay at an apartment complex in town. They spent the year in Alderson so their son could graduate high school. Then they moved to Hinton in Summers County.
3: So we moved down there in '17, and we were there for two years. Um, and really, that plan was that she was going to move near friends, I was going to look for a job, you know, someplace else, and we we're just going to bug out.
4: That's when Rise called. RISE is the state-run, federally funded flood recovery program that's meant to rebuild or replace the homes of people who were displaced by the 2016 floods.
3: So they contacted me and said, you know, you, know, you can qualify and all that kind of business, which we were pretty happy about it at the time because, you know, that was just a, just a year after the flood. Had I been in Texas or wherever, you know, I wouldn't have gotten any call or contact. So. That was pretty cool.
4: The RISE program hasn't been without its controversy. By 2018, after a groundswell of public criticism over poor management and little progress with Reconstruction, Governor Jim Justice asked for the resignation of his Commerce Secretary, whose department housed the RISE program. Justice then appointed the Adjutant General of the West Virginia National Guard to lead the RISE program. The resignation happened within the year after Brian was contacted by RISE. His family has been waiting for two years, and they've moved twice.
3: Well, right now, I mean, we've finally gotten the permits. That was the thing that was holding us up, when I say us, I mean, the contractors or whoever, but it took them a really long time to get those.
4: In November, Brian and his wife were finally able to start moving their stuff out from the flood-damaged home in Alderson. By the end of 2019, around 90 homes had successfully been rebuilt by RISE. At the time of our interview, Brian was preparing for demolition.
3: They're gonna demo the place, um, I guess fill in the basement, then they'll build a whole new foundation, you know, eight feet in the air, then put the house on top of that.
4: The problem now, as long as nothing happens to Brian's application status, is uprooting the life they've created outside of Alderson. Brian and his wife now live in Peterstown, Monroe County, closer to his dad.
3: You know, my mother lives maybe 15 minutes away. My dad's 45 minutes away. You know, my wife's parents, they're, they're gone. So you know, I work 50 miles from here. So it doesn't, in that sense, there's not a lot of anchor points.
4: So why stay?
3: I guess the thing is, because I've thought that from time to time, like, man, let's just, Especially when it seemed to never gonna be coming. It's just this, you know, endless waiting. But uh, overall, I mean, there's still we still had an investment. We still had money in the house and we put money into the house. So that's hard to just walk away from when somebody says, well, we're gonna give you a free house and it's gonna be all brand new, all new appliances, all new everything. It's like, that sounds really cool. And yeah, I mean, it's really kind of a return on the investment.
4: Good evening, I'm Emily Allen. Joining us now are members of the Joint Committee on Flooding, Senator Stephen Baldwin of Greenbrier County, Senator Glenn Jeffries of Putnam County and Delegate Dean Jeffries of Kanawha County. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Thank you. And I did want to just add, we spoke to Brian this morning. Um, They are still preparing for demolition of the House um, since our interview in November. And he is grateful to be so close to getting a home. Now, for you all, the first question I want to ask is when you're not living in Charleston, obviously you're in your communities, can you talk a little bit about how some of the damage was in the 2016 flood and what recovery has been like since then in your communities?
5: Sure, well, it's, um, it's been slow, I think, for most folks, and that's been the frustrating part. Um, I don't know if I'm alone in this, but I, I get more calls about flood recovery than I do about anything, including road repairs. Um, and so this is something that's very much on the hearts and minds of folks in my community. Um, there have been some pockets Um, the district I represent, that have done very well since the flood. I mean, White Sulphur Springs is an example of a community that I think is better off now than they were pre-flood. But there are other communities like Alderson, like Raynell, like Rupert, um, that really continue to struggle.
6: I I think that, um, I think I can speak for all three of us here that uh, we still feel for the people. We know that it's been a long process, uh, but we also look at it that this is a flood that no one's ever experienced before. None of us were prepared for it. And it's been uh, been a building curve uh, to be able to put things in place. And uh, so I I think that that as we continue to uh, put items in place, we put, as the General Hoyer would say, put the books in place to be prepared for the next big flood um, you know that is some of the some of the things that we are looking for, but but there's still that uh, group of people out there that um, as they had the other day, they had another meeting in a couple of communities, reaching out trying to find people that uh, that were not accounted for. I can speak for yesterday. I went to Walbeck yesterday, and I reached out to an individual that somehow he slipped through the crack. Uh, but all it took was one phone call to the, uh, the RISE program in VOAD, and he's on their list. Uh, and so those are the things that I think that we, all three of us, struggle with sometimes is this people slip through the
0: cracks. I receive probably two or three calls a week from people that have slipped through the cracks. They may have been people that talked to somebody from the RISE program when the program started. Um, they couldn't agree on the process and maybe went in a different direction and this whole time they've been sitting waiting for a house to be built or somebody to contact them. Um, Recently VOAD has reached back out now that they are leading this process um, for the RISE program and they're letting people know hey if if you feel like we've missed you if somebody skipped over you please get back in touch with us we want to talk to you. So here in the in the past maybe three or four weeks, I maybe have talked to 20 people that have felt they slipped through the cracks are now getting assistance.
4: Sure. And I do want to get back to VOAD's role in this, but turning now to the West Virginia National Guard, um, you all probably know, almost every Friday they release kind of an update on where they're at in the process. Um, Last Friday, most recently, they uh, shared that they had 368 active cases. I think 89 of which, correct me if I'm wrong, they're still waiting for either a request for quotation uh, pricing or analysis. Um, That kind of speaks to the fact with people like Brian, who we had heard from, where they're still waiting. Um, They know that they're eligible, but they're still waiting on this. Why do you think there are, at this point, and there have been so many people left waiting?
5: I would, I'd like to say two things. I mean, one, I think it's important to say first that Things have been much better since the Guard took over. I mean, I think it's important to give credit where credit's due. Um, and since they've taken over, there have been more improvements. Um, I think there are in the neighborhood of 80 completions that have happened since the Guard took over. Um, I just wanted to say that first. But in terms of your question, there are still plenty of folks who are waiting. I mean, uh, 371 is the number I saw this afternoon in an email. Uh, and these are all families that are just trying to put their lives back together. Why is it taking so long? Um, I I think we have a lot of cooks in the kitchen. I mean, we have a lot of folks who are working at this from a federal level, from a state level, from a county level, from a local level. Then you get nonprofits involved, uh, and, and you have just so many folks who are working on this at the same time. And frankly, we're just not very good at communicating with each other. We need to do a much better job of communicating with one another. I think we found in this process, working through as a flood committee, the more we can get folks together, have them at the same room and the same table, we can solve some of these problems.
4: Sure, anything to add, Senator?
6: Yeah. Um, really, Stephen um, said just about everything that uh, I'm, I agree with, it's, it's the, the federal process takes so much time and uh, it's just something that I don't think that we were accustomed to and, um, and plus, as I said before, the flood was so big. I mean, it's something that's never happened here in West Virginia. And it, it, uh, it's, just, it's just a timing process.
0: I think a lot of the processes that we were going through with this federal grant money was new to our state. Mm-hmm. Um, they weren't really sure how to handle it, who to handle it. We had a state resiliency office that was formed and did not come together, maybe like it should have to, to handle this situation. ANOTHER PROBLEM WAS OUR PURCHASING OR BIDDING PROCESS, WHICH WE'VE STREAMLINED IN OUR COMMITTEE. WE HAVE A BILL THAT'S BEEN INTRODUCED AND IS HEADING THROUGH THE PROCESS NOW THAT WILL HOPEFULLY GET THESE CONTRACTS OUT A LOT QUICKER, A LOT CHEAPER, AND TO MORE LOCAL CONTRACTORS. RIGHT NOW, I THINK WE HAVE MAYBE FOUR CONTRACTORS THAT ARE INVOLVED IN THIS BUILDING PROCESS. THAT DOESN'T DO US ANY FAVORS FOR COST WHEN WE HAVE JUST FOUR CONTRACTORS. And we can do this much more efficiently, I think, with this new bill that we've passed through to streamline the process.
4: And you're talking about House Bill 4130, correct? That is correct. Um, And just kind of context for our audience, that is a bill that is on its second reading in the Senate right now, so it's pretty close to getting out of here. Um, Can you explain a little bit, all of you are welcome to, um, but as kind of somebody behind that bill, what the concern is or what the difficulty is with state purchasing laws right now, and why is there a need for that bill? (laughs) (laughs)
5: see I mean this is this is the root of the problem Um, well let's just look for example at at contractors I mean because that's that's the root of the problem for folks like Brian Um, you know Brian's my constituent I've talked to Brian about this for too long now I think he would say and I would agree with him and the problem is Brian's house he said he had a hard time with permits Well, I I looked into that permit situation, and those permits had never been requested from the municipality or the county. It came back to a um, subcontractor of a subcontractor of a subcontractor of a a contractor issue because we're just working with a couple of contractors. So the idea here is to have more contractors, preferably some (coughs) West Virginia contractors, some local businesses who have connections to the community so that folks don't fall through the cracks.
6: I will say that um, we have streamlined uh, a better process as far as trying to get uh, contracts uh, put for these homeowners as far as the permitting goes through. It was brought to our attention. We uh, made some phone calls to some of the local agencies and asked for help, Um, but this bill, 4130, it is um, to develop a pool of contractors and um that is one of our issues that we have been having every time that uh a solicitation went out we wasn't getting anyone from West Virginia to be able to bid on these projects. So what we're hoping is that this that this uh house bill that's that's coming through, it will enable purchasing uh, and the guard to be able to solicit the pool of contractors and um It it releases them from having to do any bonding. We heard that bonding was an issue, and so we're hoping that once this goes through and they put out the rest of these, I believe it's 80, 77 to 80 homes, that we're going to get some contractors in West Virginia to build a bid on them.
4: Sure, and something I do wanna ask kind of off of that really quick, and earlier you were talking about people who have slipped through the the cracks of kind of this process. Do you think this legislation or other legislation that committee's been working on will maybe increase or open the process up to more people, make them eligible that have otherwise been ineligible or for the RISE process? I
6: I will say that um, I don't know if this bill will do that, but I do know that between between RISE and VOAD, they have been reaching out into areas um, by word of mouth, by social media, letting people know that, there's, that their program is still open. That's like I was seeing yesterday when I went to Wahlbach to look at that person's mo- mobile home. This morning I made the phone call, he's on their list. Um, so it's seen that this flood was, was such of a magnitude that we, from, as West Virginia, um, we're not prepared for something of that size. And it's just, it's, it's a process that's taken us time uh, to, be, to be able to put in place, and hopefully the next time that this happens we'll be better prepared. Uh, but every flood's gonna be different.
4: And just kind of off of that, and we've talked about it a bit off camera, but this morning our uh, energy and environment reporter, Brittany Patterson, did publish a kind of extensive, um, impressive piece about the West Virginia State Resiliency Office. Um, There are some things in that report that are kind of astounding. There's only one staff member. Um, It was formed by legislation in 2017. After a few meetings, they were told to stop further action in 2018. What went wrong there? And what's going to be different after this legislative session?
5: I I wish I knew what went wrong (laughs) I I don't have an answer to that Um, what I do know is that 23 people died in 2016 there are 371 folks who are still trying to get into a home and so if we don't have a sense of urgency about the need to get this State Resiliency Office right at this point um, I don't know what's going to give us a sense of urgency about that Um, obviously the process did not work before um, and so there's an effort now to make sure that that process uh, works moving forward.
0: Sure. I think the best of intentions were there when the State Resiliency Office was enacted in in legislature back in two thousand seventeen two thousand. In that time period, the problem is, it never it never got off the ground. It never it never happened. The the legislation that we've introduced gives some oversight to that. It'll have. Two delegates and two senators attending the state resiliency office meetings to make sure they are meeting, to make sure these things are happening so the next time this does happen, because we said it's not a question of if it happens again, unfortunately, it's when it happens again, that we're not all coming together for the first time and shaking hands and saying, glad to meet you, what do we do? We'll have that plan in place for the next flood.
4: Um, And and, uh, I suppose if there's nothing else to add, it is time for us to wrap up on that energy-related note. Um, As as we close this evening, a reminder that West Virginia Public Broadcasting wants to hear what you wonder about when it comes to energy policy in West Virginia. From renewable energy to coal, we'd love to hear your questions. Go to our website, wvpublic.org, and let us know. Your question might be selected as the topic of a news report during this session. Um, Thank you again for joining us, Senator Stephen Baldwin from Greenbrier County, Senator Glenn Jeffries from Putnam County, and Delegate Dean Jeffries, no relation, Um, we've cleared that up, from Kanawha County, and Emily Allen for everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Thanks for joining us and have a great evening.